Welcome to the American Med Spa Podcast, Medical Spa Insider. This week, AmSpa President and COO Kathy Christensen is in conversation with Sohee John, Leadership Coach at Sohee John PhD. Welcome to Medical Spa Insider. My name is Kathy Christensen. I'm the President and Chief Operating Officer of the American Med Spa Association. And our next guest that we have on Medical Spa Insider, I'm very excited to have with us, uh, Dr. Sohee Jun. She is uh, a a specialist in leadership. Um, She's really got an incredible resume. She's a top leadership coach. Um, She's done a lot of speaking. She's an Amazon best-selling author. Um, She works with emerging leaders and executives to unleash their untapped power for themselves and their teams. And uh, Dr. Jun is not just kind of writing about this or consulting on it. She spent more than 20 years in the corporate world. She worked for Warner Brothers, and she um, has helped leaders transform themselves from frustrated executives to, you know, better leaders. Um, She works with Fortune 500 companies. She works with Forbes. I don't know, Dr. John, what else can I say? Like you're, it's, it's such an honor to have you on our podcast. I've been waiting for this conversation, Kathy. And wow, (laughs) it's always interesting to have your bio read. And as I'm listening to it, I'm like, no wonder I'm tired. (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly. Well, I, I actually had a chance to get to know Dr. John uh, earlier this year. We were um, figuring out really how to differentiate the agenda for the Women in Aesthetics Leadership Conference. It's coming up in November, November 1st through the 3rd. Seats are still available. Um, but when we were talking yeah. about <laughs> about some of the topics that are really, really important to not just women, but all people in this industry that are, you know, you know, always trying to keep up with the um, endless treadmill of changes and work and legal and human resources and management and all of all of the the things that are constantly challenging us. Um, One of the most important topics that just kept coming up over and over again was um, finding balance, which I know I don't really believe in. I don't think that's necessarily possible. But um, when Dr. John and I were having our initial conversation, she really kind of hit the nail on the head and talked about how it's not necessarily balanced, but it's more of a harmony. And, you know, I'd love for you kind of initially to to kind of talk about what that means. Like when when you're looking at all of these different facets of your life as a leader or an entrepreneur or a medical spa injector that is kind of burning the candle at both ends, what does it look like to find that um, that harmony in your life? And and is it even possible? <laughs> this is such a relevant topic. So I love that you are leading with that, Kathy. Um, Look, I'm going to be upfront and say that I am allergic to the word balance. And I (laughs) probably shared this with you when we spoke earlier this year. And there's a a big and good reason for this. One, you know, I, as you mentioned, I'm a top leadership coach and I work with founders and successful women CEOs and executives. And what I know is that we're always talking about and trying to find this balance. And through my lived experience, because again, I'm a CEO of my own firm as well, it's not possible to have 
true balance in the way that we're all talking about it and that we're generically seeing it out in media. And the reason why I'm allergic to it is that it keeps you chasing and unsatisfied and at the end of the day, really thinking and reflecting on what's wrong with me because I don't have balance and everyone else seems to have balance. Mm -hmm. And so what I love to introduce to people is this concept that you shared around not only harmony, but for me, the word is integration is how do we loosen the grip that we have around balance and chasing that and what we think that looks like and really move to a mindset and a way of living that is integrating our priorities. <sighs> when I say integrating, like literally, Kathy, like, like I just did, people let me like sigh relief. Yes. <laughs> no, that's exactly right. Because we can integrate, can't we? Like if we're leaders, <laughs> this is something we can do. Go on, tell me more. <laughs> and I know you definitely <laughs> will in Miami, but that's absolutely true. Like that is a verb I can get around, you know, that's a verb I can get around. Yeah, I'm glad you got excited about it because I do too. I mean, I'm just like always trying to integrate this and that. And what that means is we really literally first step have to think about our values. And, you know, that to some may seem like a really big question, but I think that people that listen to this podcast and that are coming to the conference in Miami and founders and, and bosses and CEOs in general have a real good grounding of their values. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in the business that they're in. And so if you really take a step back and go, okay, what are my values? And for me, you know, I'll just speak for myself and please, Kathy, I'd love if at some point you share your values too, but... You know, for me, the one big thing is freedom, it's creativity, it's family, it's um, independence. And that allows me then to take those values and then inform and create the priorities, which looks like having my own firm, which looks like making sure that I'm there for my kids, which I have three, and being there not all the time, but at the moments that matter. Mm -hmm. And so then you go from the big values to the, you know, to the priorities, which is like the, the mid rocks for talking about rocks. And then, you know, down to the even daily habits, which informs how you integrate the values and the priorities. So it's, um, and I just think it's so much more, um, uh, it alleviates a lot of things that get in our way of what we think we should be doing and it frees us up to live in integrity with what's true for us right now with our values. Absolutely. Well, and it's interesting that you it's interesting that you say freedom. That's something that um, you know, I, I feel like all of us, we hit a point in our career where we start to do a lot of introspection on the things that are important to us and and like you said, your values and and freedom is one of those concepts that is for me, very important for almost exactly the reasons that you mentioned, you know, and I find that I'm better when I'm not um, kind of under anyone's thumb. I'm better when I'm able to uh, make my own decisions and feel not compressed. You know, I, I, I feel like I'm a better leader. I'm a better mom because I'm a mom too. Um, I'm, I'm just <laughs> probably a better friend and everything else because I'm not feeling maybe unnatural or inorganic pressure on myself. So yeah. 
Um, it's, I want to kind of, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I love that word inorganic pressure because that says a lot. So I think what I would love to do, I, I jumped right in, but please let's back up. Tell me a little bit about how you kind of made the decision to start focusing on leadership coaching. And I'm, I'm really curious also about what that kind of means. What's the definition of that? But let's start yeah. out. Tell me about your journey. I want to know more. Ooh, yeah. So let me share my story. So my story, um, I, I love sharing this because it's atypical, both incorporates atypical and traditional things of which I think a lot of us can resonate with. And so I'll start by saying that I am not even first generation. So I'm from South Korea mm-hmm. and I came to the United States at the age of six. And I I start there because it's such an important part of my lived experience in the ways that, you know, I uh, put my life in a box early on based on that kind of immigrant wanting to be successful and please the parents narrative. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in my early childhood years, once we landed in the States, we moved around quite a bit. And On this side, as an adult, what that looks like is, wow, I'm able to fit into any, you know, at the table with any executive, CEO, manager, employee, that makes me very uh, malleable in situations. Um, But when I was little, all I knew was like, we're moving again, I have to find new friends again. So that Mm -hmm. was a challenge. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, fast forward to um, college where I was trying to find myself, as we all do, try to spread our wings and find independence and who we are in the world and what we want to do. I went into it thinking, okay, I'm going to do the good girl thing and become a uh, MD. And I wanted to study dermatology and really out of the desire to please my parents, right? Again, Mm -hmm. they came to the U.S. looking for a better life. Like many of us in the U.S. have that origin story. And I, I wanted to please them and be um, successful in, in that way, in that mm-hmm. way. And so I went to college studying um, all the sciences. However, Kathy, I had this innate curiosity with people, like just fascination with people, how we work, and really founded from like, an, uh, like how do I work, like mm-hmm. a, a curiosity about myself. Uh-huh. And so even though I was doing the sciences, I was studying psychology. And through my college years, I was just kind of miserable, gritting it out, I would say, and and living through a should. I should do this. I should be in the sciences. I should make my parents proud. And I share the story because it was the first time in which I really took a risk, went against the grain of a very deeply enculturated like way of being as an Asian immigrant and said, actually, this is not what I want to do. And what's really true for me is to pursue this degree of psychology. And when I found in my senior year of college, this course called industrial organizational psychology, I literally, Kathy, I don't know if you've had these moments where you just light up (laughs) and you're like, this is it because it was the marriage of psychology in the workplace. Uh And I'm like, yeah, how do I do more of this? (laughs) So, you know, having found that, I literally chased down my professors and like kind of went everywhere they went to find out what can I do with this? And at the time it was a a burgeoning field. Um, This was like, 
back in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what I can do. And told my parents, like, this is the route that I want to take. And it felt really scary and very much of a, a risk to, to share that with them. And it's also felt like something I had to do. Mm-hmm. So I go to grad school for this program. And it is what we know today in the corporate world as talent management. So I pursued a PhD in organizational psychology, which allowed me to do everything from team interventions to culture work to um, talent assessments, performance management, um, leadership development, training, because all the things that you think of when um, you think about managing people. So it was a really broad degree that allowed me to play with a lot of different aspects of people in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And I jumped into it like pretty quickly in terms of getting experience. My first actual job was working with rocket scientists. Like how many people get to say that, Kathy? (laughs) Oh my goodness. I bet that was interesting though. I mean, how interesting. Yes, it was because here I was, I must've been like uh, mid twenties, almost finished my PhD. And, you know, I was at this company with rocket scientists and I was told to do a training. So obviously, you know, getting experience in the field and I was um, interested in training and development. And they said, hey, look, we want you to train managers around this specific like ADA course. And Kathy, I tell you, this was the first time that I really had to learn gravitas. I'm standing in a room full Mm. of seasoned executives, literally like, two to three times my age. And I, I do mention that because it was poignant at the time I was mid twenties and I could see them staring at me and Mm -hmm. saying, what do you know about leadership? (laughs) Like the thought bubbles, right? Uh And so this was formative because it was um, an experience for me to really hold my ground, know my topic and really have gravitas with the the people that I'm in context with, and in this case, the the leaders at at this company. So, you know, that catapulted me into a fascination with, okay, leadership in particular. Mm -hmm. And I I followed that passion into different industries. So I'm going to fast forward this to say, like, in the 15 years of being in corporate, I not only went into engineering, but financial services. And my last um, big stint internal was in um, entertainment. Mm -hmm. And it was there that I really honed in on, I'm making the biggest impact through leadership coaching, because when I paid attention and got really curious about what both was using my superpowers and what lit me up and the impact that I was having with leaders, that was coaching. It was that one-on-one conversation in which they gave me trust and I was able to provide them a framework and a way of unlocking their leadership challenges that was just so powerful. Kathy, I was like, this is it. I have to, again, another moment of like, this is it. I have to do more. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Well, that's, and, and that kind of leads me to, first of all, I can't imagine 
the challenge that you had going into a room full of rocket scientists that are trying to, you know, trying to get them to to better understand kind of the psychology of what they're doing. It, it reminded me, I actually just wrote down, my mother um, used to be in human resources. And she, uh, back in the 80s, was doing like Myers-Briggs kind of personality testing for engineers. <laughs> and she said every single one of them was exactly the same type every single one. <laughs> and so her job was to try to get them to understand the value of the other types of personalities, which is kind of kind of hilarious, because it is, you know, there's a very specific type of personality that, um, that you do face in the in those roles. So that's, that's very interesting. But I'm curious, at what point do you, as a, as a person, as a leader or an executive, at what point do you realize that leadership coaching is maybe something to, to consider or might be a next step for you? What are what are the people that are coming to you for help? What kind of stage are they at? What is the trigger that makes them say, I need, I need a little guidance? Um, I'm just kind of curious about that. And then what does it look like to have a leadership coach? Yeah, great question. So, you know, the, the clients that come to me um, having my own firm is usually the leaders that are in transition, right? So if you can imagine those that are like, you know what, I, I want something more and I want to figure that out and I want to be able to get clarity on my path and I'd love to get that at the company I'm at. So it could look like going from a VP to senior VP or a senior VP to um, the C-suite. And oftentimes it's those big transition jumping points in which they need additional tools than the ones that they've been using that got them where they are. Mm -hmm. And here's what I know to be true in my literally like 20 years of, of coaching at all different levels and working specifically with that, that tier of leadership is that the tools that they were using in their toolkit of, you know, whether it's communication or feedback or whatever that looks like from a skills perspective, it no longer works. And I think that this resonates with so many leaders because they all at some point hit a point in which, okay, the stuff that I've been doing, how I've been showing up, how I've been communicating no longer works for where I want to go and what I'm imagining for myself. So it's those big transition points that a lot of leaders come to me. And here's the other thing with women in particular, um, whether they're founders of their own business or they are in companies, um, they come to me because they want to work on their presence and their authentic leadership. And I mm -hmm. specialize in these things because I was a leader internally. I led teams domestically, huge teams. And um, so I understand the challenges of that in terms of how do you define and really lean into what authentic leadership looks like for you in a sea of what you're being told it should look like? And also, you know, how do you amplify your presence? So I work a lot with women in particular around um, what we know today in popular terms, this has been really hot lately, um, imposter syndrome, the inner mm -hmm. critic, um, having presence, amplifying your authentic comp uh, leadership and all of those things that um, really keep us up at night, and in particular for women. 
Hey everyone, let me take a quick second to share something really interesting for your business. Did you know that a staggering 74% of consumers shop on their phones while watching TV at night? That's like 7 out of 10 of your patients. But the real eye-opener here is that less than 1 out of 10 med spas actually sell their products online. Can you imagine the untapped potential of giving your patients the convenience to purchase treatments, services, or skincare right from the comfort of their own homes through your very own branded app? That's where RepeatMD comes in. RepeatMD is the fastest growing software in the medical aesthetics industry, and for good reason. RepeatMD is designed by e-commerce experts who have worked with renowned brands like Target, Nordstrom, and Neiman Marcus, and they'll build your practice its own mobile rewards and shopping app. Clients love RepeatMD, and patients love the experience RepeatMD provides. RepeatMD rewards patients for spending more, encourages them to come back more often, and helps them discover treatments they'll absolutely love. On top of that, your practice can sell memberships and offer financing for services all through your very own app designed and managed by the experts at RepeatMD. The bottom line is that RepeatMD enhances the entire patient experience while boosting your practice's revenue. They are game changers for your med spa. So what are you waiting for? Visit repeatmd.com forward slash amspa to book a quick product demonstration. And guess what? We'll have special pricing for medical spa insider listeners and you'll receive 50% off towards your first purchase. Don't miss out on this opportunity. Head over to repeatmd forward slash amspa today. I'd like to thank our friends at Hans Biomed, manufacturers of Mint PDO Threads, for sponsoring this podcast. Do you feel like there's a limit to the lifting effects you can achieve with injectables or lasers alone? Then PDO Threads may be the solution you've been looking for. PDO Threads are one of the most powerful tools available on the market for non-surgical lifting. If you haven't already offered them in your practice, we have the perfect event for you. The Mint Lift Summit is the largest thread lift training conference in the industry and will be held on Saturday, October 21st, 2023. This event, hosted by Mint, the only PDO threads on the market with triple FDA clearance, will feature live thread lift demonstrations and didactic sessions by leading experts from the U.S. and South Korea. This is a hybrid event, so you can attend in person at the Intercontinental Los Angeles downtown, or the event will be live streamed, so you can join from anywhere in the world. The Mint Lift Summit is your opportunity to learn from and network with the global aesthetic community and get exclusive specials on one of the strongest PDO threads out there. Go to mintliftsummit.com to purchase your tickets today. That's mintliftsummit.com. Hey folks, Alex Tiersch here, and I want to give a shout out to our friends at Podium for sponsoring this podcast. MedSpot Trailblazers, listen up, in a booming $16.4 billion industry set to spike 15% in 2023. Staying ahead is not a choice, it's a necessity. Meet Podium, the MedSpot game changer. Your prime clients, the 35 to 54-year-old savvy seekers, are online. The question is, are you capturing those leads effectively? Enter Podium, an AI-fueled powerhouse designed to not only attract, but convert with surgical precision. Respond to leads within minutes via text with Podium's mobile app. Outpace the competition, don't just keep up. Supercharge your lead generation, skyrocket conversions, and watch your revenue soar. Click the link in the podcast to discover Podium. Your med spa's trajectory is about to hit the stratosphere. Thanks so much. Um, I'm curious a little bit, I'm going to ask you some some leadership questions, because I think a lot of leaders are also wanting, and I I personally believe that it's definitely, I would much rather have a team of leaders or a team growing into leaders as opposed to kind of a team that, that isn't 
comfortable making decisions for probably the culture that you've built. They're concerned that they're going to get in trouble if they take the lead or what have you. But what's your advice yeah. for kind of cultivating a team of leaders? Mm. Kathy, you have a knack for asking all the good questions. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> why you I'll take that. <laughs> yeah. So cultivating a team of leaders, it comes down to, I'm going to, I'm simplifying it for the podcast, but three things, which is the leader's ability to make others on their team feel seen, heard, and valued. Mm -hmm. Now notice I'm not saying at all that you're agreeing with anything that they might be sharing or that the way that they're coming across. It's first foundation, like if you think of it as a pyramid, do you as a leader create a culture in which you allow your team or um, your peers to feel seen, heard, and valued? And then do you give them the framework or the tools to be able to amplify what they're trying to do, whether that's, you know, get a project to the end finish line or work with a customer or whatever that looks like in their role. It's how do you give them oversight and guidance and almost like mentoring, but using different skill sets. And this is what I call situational leadership. It's how do you adjust to the needs of the employee and give them what they need and mm -hmm. in the moments that matter. So it's, it's, um, there, it's layered, obviously, but it's that foundation of being able to connect with your employees that allows them to feel safe so they can contribute so that you do get more thinking. And I think, Kathy, that's what you're asking about is how do you get your team to really even if they're not formally a leader, act as leaders. And it starts with feeling like they're valued and seen and heard. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. I completely agree. I'm curious, one of the things that can happen as your company grows, and I feel like I shouldn't even, like you're the, you're the expert, but one of the things that you see and one of the things that I hear is when a company is smaller and you're more in a startup phase or a medical spa, for example, a lot of them um, yeah. are starting out with, you know, solo practitioners or just an owner and then um, another injector or what have you. But but oftentimes they grow and they scale to multiple locations. So what worked and it's kind of interesting because what worked for you kind of one on one changes a little bit when you have a team of 10 or much more so when you have a team of 50 or if you're at a point where your um your responsibilities are kind of taking you out of what your one-on-one -on -one leadership was meant to be so when that happens how do you continue that feeling of value to your team as a leader if you aren't able to be in like every review or every conversation and you're starting to kind of delegate those tasks. Do you have any advice yeah. on how to like help that continue even when you aren't as involved one-on-one? -on -one? Yeah, I would say this is exactly getting to your other question. How do you, when do you work with coach? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly when. <laughs> when a coach like me who works with founders. <laughs> I mean, I am laughing about that, but also this is what I call um, in, in working with so many founders in different phases of the startup of their company, it's what I call the pivot points. 
And so you're right. At a certain stage, you go from being a solo person, and if you're successful, that is the trajectory, right? You have a team and then eventually multiple sites that you're running. Mm-hmm. And it's the being able to recognize those inflection points, those pivot points that I call that you have to pivot leadership, leadership style. And so, you know, it doesn't come naturally to people because one, they're as a solopreneur, you're in it. So it's really hard to lift your head up to be able to say, oh, I think I need to do things differently. Or maybe I shouldn't be spending my time being in every review or going mm-hmm. to every single meeting. And so um, that is one, the beauty of working with a coach who can shed those moments for you and also give you the tools that you need to lift your head up and elevate your leadership at the right points so that you can then um, scale appropriately and effectively. So that might look like, okay, now I need a, an operations person. And then the coach will be able to help you uh, add different tools in your toolkit and to be able to hire the right people on. Because again, what I know, and you probably know this too intimately, is that the most time we spend and time and energy is people. And mm-hmm. so being able to bring in the right people at the right moments is a critical part of this journey as well. And um yeah, so I'll stop there. See what what questions you have. No, I'm just curious. Uh, uh, the the what advice? Like, what I think is the challenge is like the passing on of the vision to those people. You know, to the people that you're hiring, and I imagine that goes into like hiring maybe smartly or um, how do you make sure that culture that was really important to you hands down to those folks that are kind of taking your place in the meeting or taking your place in the reviews. And I'm not sure. I, I'm just asking because I don't think there's a surefire way, but it is something that's a concern at that at that point. And I think a lot of our, um, as our industry grows and matures and evolves, I think a lot of people are kind of getting to that point where it's like, how do, what we did so well in the beginning, how do we do that from a culture leadership standpoint as we grow when it can't just be yeah. a single person leading. Yeah. And gosh, talk about evolving industry. Your industry is so rapidly growing and changing. So I definitely hear that. And it's the leader's job as they scale to be able to influence in different ways and bring on the people. So I have a a philosophy about hiring, which is hire slow, fire fast. Mm-hmm. And most people have it the reverse, which is, oh my God, I'm so excited about this person. I'm going to bring them on board. Oh, okay. And then not doing the proper checks before, you know, bringing the person on to see if they're really going to be successful and then not being able to provide them the right support in the onboarding phase, whether it's zero to 30 days or zero to, you know, three months you really do have to, as a leader, be able to impart, you know, your expectations, mm-hmm. um, the culture, as well as being able to really be with them to help them, you know, be your steward, if you will, kind of like your um, an extension of you uh, to be able to, inf- so they can influence the sites and the people that they're with um, as an extension of you and the culture that you want to create. So, it's really important to be able to, one, um, sift through and get the right people on board. And then you can't just let them go. You have to carefully make sure that their experience curated so that they're successful and can, by extension, um, 
create that same culture and the feel of what it feels like to work with you um, through another person. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Great advice. You're very good at this, Dr. John. Very good. <laughs> you should consider a career yeah, in this. I hope so. It's been many years. <laughs> um, one thing that I'm curious about, and it's something that I know that I feel and that most people feel is like multi-generational teams. Um, is yeah. that, are you getting that kind of challenge more and more that there's, because the generations that we have even in our small office, really run the gamut from Gen Z to baby boomer um, and oh. everything in between. So, you know, are, do you have any tips or advice on on um, keeping everyone motivated or is it a matter of cust- like kind of customizing, mo- customizing motivation? For example, I will tell you, um, last year for one of our team outings, we got tickets to the Harry Styles concert, which was so awesome. But I can tell you my baby boomers were like, I mean, they were fine to not they chose not to go. And that was fine. They didn't necessarily know him. They didn't necessarily want to do it. We did like a happy hour beforehand so that they could come and hang out and get some camaraderie. And then um, they chose to go home. Um, But just, I mean, that's just kind of an example of there's really doesn't seem like there would be a one size fits all for that kind of thing. But I'm just curious, I, I feel like they're very different generations and very different motivations in, in them. So I'm just kind of oh. curious, how do you lead these varied teams? Yeah, I mean, talk about that being like a hot topic. I Actually, you inspired me. I should write something on this because <laughs> yes most leaders are challenged and you know i have to say it like having a, a, I have a small team as myself it's like i understand that very intimately the multi-generation i think now in the workforce we have the most different generations that we've ever had mm-hmm. um, in the workplace so it does cause friction and so what i would recommend and what i've tried and what i've done is clearly stating expectations so for example if there's an outing um, similar to what you did, and Kathy, I commend you because what I see that you did is you gave choices and you let people opt out, and that's okay, and that's actually a good thing. Um, what I don't want people or leaders to try to do is to make everyone happy. Mm-hmm. The whole making everyone happy thing just gets leaders into a tizzy in terms of like overdoing and um not being clear about expectations and all of this Mm -hmm. stuff. And that's a side topic. However, um, so let's take that example of like, you know what, I want to have a team bonding experience with my team. And let's say there's like five five different generations. So what I would do is clearly state that up front. It's like, look, I, I would love to have an experience for all of us to be able to connect and bond differently. What I'm going to do is allow everyone to, you know, provide their thoughts and perspective on what uh, an experience like that, a meaningful experience like that could look like. So one, that's allowing them to provide input and so that you hear them and then in essence, you're seeing them and their input. And then explicitly stating, you know, I'm going to try my best to pick an outing that will be um, something that's enjoyable for as many people on this team as possible. I know I can't make everyone happy, but my hope is that you all can join with the intention of connecting together. And I will give you the uh, option to opt out at some point in the evening, and that's okay too. My goal is that we all connect and build um, and interact in a different way. 
So stating those intentions up front just makes it clear of what you're trying to do. And then it just takes pressure off people to be like, all right, I'm going to provide my input. If it doesn't work this time, I'm sure it'll be heard the next time or, you know, it'll evolve. So that that frees you, the leader, too, of like, I got to please everyone because that just never works. You mm-hmm. can't peanut butter happiness thing. And that's, that should not be the goal. Right. What do you think about communication? Um, one of the things that, and we don't see it very often, but there are just differences in the way that uh, one generation can communicate with the other. What What are ways that you can smooth that a little bit? I, I don't know if you have any tips or tricks, but I, I find mm-hmm. that that is a thing that even I see with, I'm a Gen Xer and I, you know, there are fellow Gen Xers in my office, but there's also boomers and Zs and millennials and everything else. So I, I know Xers think and do things a lot differently than Gen Z. Um, but I, I also think it's beneficial. Gen Z has such a stark expectation of what's right and wrong. And I think that's a good challenge for us. So I'm just curious, because a lot of times that can rub folks the wrong way. Um, one way that one generation likes to communicate or their values versus another. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering, Kathy, if you have a specific, you don't have to have an answer, but just like a scenario that comes to mind for you in terms of communication challenge. Yeah. So for example, and it's not even a communication, it's more of a behavioral. So um, say you had an employee that was a boomer and they just, mm-hmm. you know, eye contact is important. Communication is important. Like verbal communication is important or um, just kind of acknowledgement. And then you have a Z employee who that's not necessarily the it does certainly doesn't have the value that it would for a for a boomer because it's um, just not necessarily the primary way uh, Gen Z communicates or is comfortable communicating. Um, Mm -hmm. But if so, for example, if the Gen Z employee comes in, and they're just looking at their phone, or they have their headphones in or what have you, and they avoid eye contact or even avoid that interaction, it can be seen as being rude, or it can be seen as even worse, you know, disrespectful. Um, And if the boomer kind of if that happens day after day, then all of a sudden, it's feeling to the boomer like something is not happening in a healthy way in their work environment. So you know, Mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of the example that I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, that's a very classic example, and, and thank you for um, sharing that. You know, what I advise people, regardless of generational differences, is that at the end of the day, there's nothing that bridges differences than having a one-to-one conversation that is connective and led with intention. So what that looks like in this example, Kathy, that you gave could be something like if the boomer you know, was able to, one, get clear on what it was that was triggering them about that communication or the way that that person was coming across communication-wise or the way that their body language was um, triggering things. And then be able to center themselves so that they, they don't come from a place of being triggered, but when they are able to have a dialogue that is, one, stating their perception of how that other person's coming across, and then creating space for that other person, the Gen Z, to say, actually, no, I mean, I'm just, I was tired or the night mm-hmm. before, and I actually, 
you know, don't really value good mornings. I like to, so however that conversation goes, it's to be able to bridge the differences by having direct connection. Mm -hmm. And the outcome isn't necessarily looking for a perfect solution, but just more understanding so that the assumptions and biases and all the stories that we make up about people based on what we perceive, we can dismantle that and undo some of that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think we're all guilty of that, right? Is kind of thinking oh, you yeah. know what is going on with another person or assuming this, that, and the other thing. Yeah, and I think, you know, yes, there are definite generational preferences as it relates to communication. We can't ignore that. And at the end of the day, the most power that we have is looking at the stories that we make up about that situation and then trying to bridge that difference through direct communication in a way that is, um, in a way that's uh, in integrity with the person that you're in mm -hmm. interaction, interacting with. I have an example, too, where... Early on in my career, I must have been, uh, I don't know, this was my first time leading a team. So I, I want to say I was probably five years into my career. Mm -hmm. I was promoted pretty quickly and I was leading a team. And I had somebody on my team that I, it was was triggering me, quite honestly. Like mm -hmm. every morning I was up with Kathy that came in. I'm like, get, you, I, I don't know, you probably could guess that I'm a morning person. I'm like, get. <laughs> <laughs> So like doing the whole very um, direct greeting that's full of energy. And, you know, for a lot of people, that doesn't work. It just rubs them the wrong way, and that's okay. At that time, though, I didn't know that. And as somebody on my team who wouldn't make eye contact with me, kind of avoided me in the morning in the coffee room and just would go around me. Mm -hmm. And I would make up all of the stories that she didn't respect me as her leader, that she didn't like me, mm -hmm. whatever, well, all the stories. And, you know, through the months of getting to know her and then finally having the courage to talk about that situation, she just said, like, I'm not a morning person. And, you know, I just like to quietly prepare myself mentally. I, I come in from a long drive and I like to just set my day up in a way that's a little bit more um, quiet. And so that was a, it's a perfect example of like all the stories I made up as a leader, just uh -huh. like being triggered left and right. Thinking, oh my gosh, she doesn't respect me and don't like me. And, um, and then to actually have that conversation of which I could have had so much earlier. Right. Mm -hmm. So Absolutely. Well, I feel like I could talk to you all day, Dr. John, but I um, I know you have things to do, um, leaders to coach and all of that. So I'm excited to have you at the Women in Aesthetic Leadership Con Conference to learn more. Um, you're actually our closing keynote, which I'm excited about. Um, you'll be discussing debunking the balance myth, getting off the ever elusive balance treadmill. So um, again, I'm so excited to see you there. And I really appreciate your time. Um, you're inspiring and intelligent and kind and just the perfect person to be at this event for our industry. So thank you for your oh time. Thank you. It has been so fun. And I cannot wait to see you in November. Oh, and Dr. June, real quick, tell us where, um, tell our listeners where they can find you on Instagram. Oh, yes. So my handle is SoheJun underscore PhD. And the best way, the fastest way to connect with me is through my website, www.SoheJunPhD.com. 
All right, perfect. Well, thank you, Dr. John. I appreciate your time. I will see you later. Thanks, Kathy. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us this week with the American Med Spa Podcast, Medical Spa Insider. This week, MSpa President and COO Kathy Christensen was joined by So He Jung, Leadership Coach at So He Jung PhD. If you're new with us, click on the subscribe button. Then receive new content when it happens. Leave a rating and a review. See you on our next episode.